thank you for a huge year on the Words and Nerds podcast. In 2021, the podcast had more than 250 conversations with authors, publishers, agents, booksellers, podcasters, and other amazing bookish people in approximately 200 episodes. There are three spin-offs, Ben Hobson's Burgers, Beers and Books, Josie Layton's A Different Page, and Nathan J. Phillips's The Regular Takeover. We had 22 takeover guests and growing, a summer series takeover, a NaNoWriMo series, crossovers, and the incredibly popular Publishing Insider series. The podcast appeared at literary festivals. We hosted live streams at bookshops for book launches, including the much-loved Four Continents for Critics. This holiday series is all about you, the listeners. Enjoy the most listened-to episodes of 2021 to get you through the holiday period. Stay safe and read more books. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Words and Nerds podcast. My name is Nathan J. Phillips, and... Danny has very kindly handed me the mic to do a listener takeover episode today. I'm coming to you from Nuggenwall land, and I'd like to pay respects to elders past, present, and emerging, some of the old, well, the oldest storytellers in the region here, and some of the oldest storytellers in the world as well. Uh, today, I get to interview the wonderful Helen Scheurer. Helen Scheurer is the author of the best-selling self-published YA fantasy trilogy, The Oromir Chronicles, including Heart of Mist, Reign of Mist, and War of Mist as well as the prequel short story collection, Dawn of Mist. Born in Australia, Helen's love of writing and books led her to pursue a Bachelor of Creative Writing at the University of Wollongong and a Masters of Publishing at the University of Sydney. Now a full-time author, Helen lives amidst the mountains in New Zealand and is constantly dreaming up new stories. Her next series, Curse of the Siren Queen, hits shelves in July 2021 with the first epic instalment, A Lair of Bones. Hello, uh, Helen, and welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thank you very much for having me. I'm good, thanks. I just climbed up a mountain this morning, so I'm feeling like I've uh, accomplished something today. Excellent. Yeah, I saw on the uh, the intro that you're living in the New Zealand mountains, and um, I, I would imagine that would be a pretty inspirational uh, area to uh, to live in. Yeah, um, absolutely. But, but first of all, congratulations on the new novel coming out and, you know, the new series with The Siren Queen and uh, Lair of Bones being the first one from that. Um, before we get into this, can you give us a quick elevator pitch on what the novel and, if you like, what the series is all about? Yeah, sure. Um, so A Lair of Bones is the first book in a dark fantasy quartet for young adults um, and it focuses on a siren who's like a sort of um, this mythological character, I suppose, um, who works as a bone cleaner in a layer of bones, which so the whole layer is uh, made of bones, and her job is to ma- to clean the bones so they can build a layer, basically. But she's very ambitious, and she's always um, wanted to be more than what she is, and she longs for adventure and power, and I guess just the freedom to to make her own choices and things like that. So every uh, fifty years, there is a tournament. And the winner has the potential to become the next ruler of the siren siren society, basically. Um, and so that opportunity comes along. And Ro, who's the main character, she enters the tournament and it kind of goes from there. So she has to face three different challenges and uh, all very high stakes, all very dangerous. And uh, one thing I really love about it is the siren society that I've created they're all very ambitious. They're all very cunning. Like cunning is their main thing. So there's a lot of backstabbing. There's a lot of secrets. Everyone has a secret. 
Um, and yeah, it's sort of it's sort of it goes from there and snowballs quite drastically. Yeah, sounds like a very uh, intriguing one with all the secrets and the the cunning and everything. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's the idea. Awesome. And uh, now looking back a little bit towards the you know the the earlier days, the series, the Oromi Chronicles. Um, all the titles in that were self-published, and from what I understand of you know other interviews and, and reading and the like, is you did actually have uh, traditional publishing on the table as a genuine opportunity as well. Uh, can I ask yeah. what it was that made you decide to self-publish, and can you tell us a little bit about that journey? Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess uh, an important thing to to note from the beginning is that originally I was writing literary fiction, um, and so. I think the year before um, Heart of Mist came out, I actually had a contract with um, a traditional publisher for a book of literary fiction. And I found that experience quite lacking in terms of communication between publisher and author, um, the timeline of things, things getting changed. Um, the lack of control, I guess, is the main um, element that me as a control freak really hated. Um, so I did have this experience that wasn't, it wasn't what I imagined. I think a lot of authors, um, growing up, you kind of think it's going to be this incredible magical experience when you sign with a publisher, you know, there's going to be this incredible process. It's going to be this incredible, incredible learning experience. There'll be book launches, book tours. Like we get a very like glamorous view, I think, of people who are lead titles and not mid-list or brand new authors, basically. Um, and so I, I had that experience already and basically I wrote Heart of Mist as a form of escape for myself. I was going through some really like heavy edits with this um, original book and I, I guess I had the realisation that I should be writing what I loved reading and not trying to fit a certain, you know, uh, serious writer sort of, you know, vision to myself, if that makes sense. Absolutely, um, does, yep. Yeah, and so I think as I was writing it, I was already toying with the idea of self-publishing, the the creative control, the control over my production schedule, um, all of those things really appealed to me. Um, and, yeah, I, I was already, like, quite involved in the publishing industry back then because I did a Masters of Publishing, and so I knew a lot of people who worked in the industry and I was running a website all about writing and publishing at the time. And I basically had one of the, the big five publishers, someone who worked for them, contact me because I'd been writing about Heart of Mist and the process of writing that on my blog. And uh, she said, I'd, I'd, I'd love to read it. I'd love to pitch it to our YA acquisitions. And that's like a really exciting thing to have happened, like being approached like that. Um, but I think because I already had the idea of self-publishing at the back of my head and I knew the benefits in terms of timelines and the creative control, as I said. Um, and I asked her, like, okay, well, if I was interested, like, how long do you think this process would take? And I just, I just meant in terms of getting it to the acquisitions team, having them read it, having them come back to me. There was no promise of, like, a deal on the table or anything. Mm -hmm. um, but there was that interest there that was very tempting, obviously, like you dream about that your whole life. But she came back to me and said, oh, it'll take at least eight weeks. And I was just like, no, that's too long. It's way too long. It's, that's something I find with traditional publishing. It's just not efficient. And I'm, I, 
what I love about running my own business is that all the processes I have are created for like, you know, maximum efficiency. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that that was pretty much the the final thing that made me go, yeah, self-publishing is the the right option for me because I wanted to be able to say my book's coming out in 2017 and then it does come out in 2017, you know. So that's the sort of um, long, long-winded long story about that. <laughs> no, no that, that's really good to know. And it's something that we, we spoke about a little bit beforehand. Sometimes there's this image that self-publishing is what happens when traditional publishing doesn't work, you know. It's not true at all. There's so many authors out there these days who are able to self-publish and make a full-time career out of doing it through that methodology. So with that, I guess you've you've mentioned some of the advantages that what were the obstacles? Was there anything you didn't really expect to come across or that caught you by surprise with self-publishing that uh, maybe those who are considering self-publishing uh, might benefit from knowing? Um, I, I invested a lot in my education about the industry. So I purchased quite an expensive course. It's the best course out there. Um, it's run by Mark Dawson. I think it's called yeah, Self-Publishing 101. Yeah, so that is pretty much every big hitter indie author I know has done that course. Um, so, and that was a big investment. I think it was over a thousand dollars to do it, um, and you can you can pay it off as you go and stuff like that. So there are options for it, but that was sort of the foundation of my education about what it was to self-publish. Um, it was very uh, comprehensive in terms of all the different elements um, that you would need to learn, and it is a big learning curve. I guess that's that's probably the best thing to say about challenges. It is a massive learning curve because as an indie, you're not just the author. You're the finance department. You're the marketing department. You're the advertising department. Um, you know, you're the customer service person. Like, you literally have to do everything. Um, so I would say... The learning curve of having to teach yourself things like ads, like that's still, still something that I'm struggling with. I'm not a very um, data-driven analytical person and I think that's a real strength when it comes to, to ads. Um, but you do have to teach yourself all these different things and you need to teach yourself about all the different aspects of book production. Like if, for every department, you know, for want of a better word, there's, you know, 50,000 things you need to learn if you want to do it well. And I mean, the people who are making a living by being an indie author, they're the people who are either investing in their own education about the industry or they're hiring professionals to do stuff. Like they're not, um, you know, shortcutting things at all. Um, so, yeah, the, the learning curve is is one of the, the bigger challenges. Um, from the perspective of a full-time author, one thing I've found in the last year or so is having to make every single call yourself. So every decision that could possibly be made, you're making that. And you do sometimes either get sort of like decision fatigue or you start to doubt yourself. Like um, for a layer of bones, for instance. Um, so this is after I've already done four covers for um, Heart of Mist, Reign of Mist, War of Mist and Dawn of Mist. All those covers, I've, I went through the process from brief to finished product so four under my belt, I thought, yeah, I know what I I'm just doing. I just want to add in for anyone who hasn't seen the covers, they are stunning. And oh, uh, I'm not you. sure if, if Lair of Bones is, um, by the time this goes out at the moment, it's still under embargo, but that is an absolutely magnificent cover as well. I am I am stoked with the, the Lair of Bones cover. It's it's a little bit different 
to the RME Chronicles, I think it's a little bit more modern, a little, it's got a little bit more like darkness to yeah, it. Yeah, that was the bit I loved as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for instance, like talking about uh, challenges. So I initially went with a cover designer who was a friend of mine. We worked out like a brief for it um, and we created this concept that I really liked. But then we sort of realised that actually she's not a book designer, she's a graphic designer and committing to the first book in a series as a book designer, you're committing to the whole series. And we realised that she probably would not want to be that committed over the next four years or however, whenever I try to release them, however quickly. Um, So that sort of meant then going back to the drawing board and um, commissioning a new agency to do it and stuff like that. So all these little decisions, it's not like you've got a team of people to be like, hey, do you think we should just risk it and go with the this cover or should we start from scratch? And we, I mean, I ended up losing maybe three, four months in time um, and that's why A Layer of Bones is coming out in July. Um, otherwise I would have had it much earlier in the year. But, yeah, it's, it's all a learning process and even what am I, three years into a, over three years into my full-time career and I'm still stuffing up and still learning stuff every day. So, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Now, the the bit about that that actually kind of terrifies me a little bit about the idea of self-publishing is the advertising part, the the getting out there, putting yourself, putting the um, the book online, and and how do you how have you been able to engage with um, with potential readers, uh, you know, through that process and the the online sort of um, environment. Um. So. It's changed a little bit, as you can imagine. Like, so my first book came out in 2017 um, and back then my sort of marketing focus, I didn't know anything about ads. I didn't do any advertising. Um, I'd only just done the 101 course, whereas now Mark Dawson's also released an advertising course, um, which I've got that I'm struggling to get through. It's very, like, dense. Um, But in terms of what I did then, my marketing campaign was all about book bloggers because book bloggers were huge in 2017. They were reviewing everything. Um, They were posting Q&As with authors. Um, I did a couple of podcasts. It's basically, it's called a marketing outreach campaign. You just cast your net as wide as you can. I sent out a media kit, like similar to what I sent you with um, a layer of bones. Um, And basically just asking, like, obviously you're making sure that they're interested in the types of books that you write. So I've got a couple of um, comp titles that I always have in mind for my books and I search the blogger's website to see if they've reviewed any of those books and and enjoyed them and if they have, then they're potentially a good fit for my book. Um, So, yeah, I just reached out to hundreds, hundreds of um, bloggers and um, websites and podcasts and things and tried to get the word out as much as I could, and that was very um, time-consuming. I don't know many people who've done that sort of, that much of an extensive outreach campaign for a book. Essentially, I did what a traditional publisher would do with a lead title, Um, you know, sending out review copies and stuff. Uh, And then, yeah, advertising I've really only started to do in the last two years. I'm still not fantastic at it. there's always something new to learn with advertising. There's always a new platform. There's always a new service. Um, But I guess like staying connected to particular author groups um, 
having done the Mark Dawson course, you get put in a particular Facebook group where you can ask questions and people share their success stories and stuff. Um, so that's always good. And there's plenty of like free courses that you can do like five day free courses. I think Brian Cohen does one of those. Um, so there's lots of resources out there. It's just a matter of finding the time to do it and wrapping your head around the sort of concept of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it, the, the image that I'm sort of getting from the, this chat is that it's treating it like a professional business because that's what you need to do. Um, getting the education that you don't have. So making sure you've, uh, meeting that learning curve and making sure you put in the effort. I guess it's um, treating your own title, title like it's your own lead title. When when ebooks came on the market, they they gave a real solid boost and continue to boost the uh, the self published authors, as have um, audiobooks recently. What's your experience engaging with the ebook and audiobook markets? Have they played a big part in in you know building your um, your self published business, or is that just a an extra add on, so to speak? No, e-books are like vital. They're my main source of income, e-books. I think uh, I suppose an important thing to outline for e-books is that, you know, with the exception of writing the book and editing the book and and that side of production, an e-book doesn't actually have a um, like a cost price to it. Um, there's there's no upfront production cost for an e-book, whereas a print book, you know, you've got to pay for the, the printing and the shipping of the book, either to you um, or to a distributor or, you know, and then there's the time also if you're, because for the RMA Chronicles, I didn't use Ingram Spark, which is the biggest um, distributor of print books um, or one of pretty much. Um, I used just a local printer. It was just easier. And I wasn't, um, like, I just wanted someone that I could actually go see face-to-face and I could pick the books up in person. And it was also really cool because I got to go into the printing press and watch them be cut and nice. all that sort of stuff, like super nerdy stuff, but it is really satisfying watching your own it's, books. It's yeah. words and nerds. It's doing nerdy stuff, watching yeah. nerds go onto paper. It's perfectly on brand. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, if you think about all the sort of um, production costs of a print book, um, for me, for example, um, a print book might cost me $16 cost price, which, and that's because I use print on demand services. If I was, say, Penguin Random House, I could get a book printed for maybe $2, $3 because I'm printing 10,000 of them. But for me, I do very small print runs. So the, um, the cost price per unit is a lot higher. And so then you've got to charge a lot higher to then, you know, make the money back. Whereas an ebook, um, you get 70% royalties with Amazon. Um, so in a lot of cases, I either make the same or more money with ebooks in terms of the profit margin than I do with a print book. And also it's just way less hassle. And in terms of like sending out advanced reader copies, it's no cost to me. Whereas like I'm still getting reviewers come to me and say, oh, can we have a print copy? We'd really like a print copy. And I'd love to give out print copies to everybody, but in order to do that, it's say $16 and then $10 postage. And if I send out 400 copies like I'm doing with eBooks, then, you know, I wouldn't yeah, be a full-time indie author. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, eBooks play a massive, a massive role and, and a massive chunk of my, of my income. Audio books um, is, a, is a little bit different for me because I actually am traditionally published through um, 
audible for heart of mist so i've got a, a literary agent who does my audiobook rights and we're also trying to do um foreign language rights as well at the moment so that's a little bit different um, i'm sure if you spoke to another indie author who self-publishes their own audiobooks like they would be making more money but i'm with audible i'm on a traditionally published royalty rate which is a lot lower because they um put up the production cost up front so yeah. I guess that comes back to what you were saying earlier about the stuff that you're not as sure about, getting a professional to do that. And Yeah. Now, yeah, exactly. getting back to A Lair of Bones, um, one of the things that about this series that has got me excited is that it's in my absolute favourite genre of dark fantasy. What is it that draws you into dark fantasy and writing about darker themes and the like? Um. God, I, I guess I just find it really intriguing. Like, and I, I suppose it also depends on what you define as dark fantasy or what makes something dark. To me, like, I think I watched a video of another author describing it. <laughs> I think I, I heard another author describe it as like, you know, there's a lot of death and like grim stuff, which there is. But I also think dark fantasy is all about like the sort of darkness of the mind and that what would you or wouldn't you do to get a certain thing? And I think that's that's the sort of crux of A Lair of Bones. Um, it's sort of the main question is just how far will someone go to get the one thing that they've always wanted the most? Who are they going to, you know, betray? What moral lines are they going to cross? And I, I really love exploring morally grey characters and they're a perfect fit for dark fantasy because I think the sort of any sort of like violence and death and you know destruction and chaos that sort of background stuff to the dark things that people think and do to each other and I really love exploring that sort of stuff and I think A Lair of Bones is very dark in that way it's it's a very like uh I mean it's still young adult I will say that um but it it's about ambition and sort of the the dark questions that come with how ambitious a person or a siren might be. Um, so that's what I really love about it. Yeah, no, I completely get you there. It's one of those things that um, I'm a big fan of dark fantasy and dark stories in general, but, you know, violence and death and all that sort of darkness for the sake, for its own sake, doesn't really convey a story for me. Um, I suppose all that stuff is the result of character yeah. motivations and character relationships and stuff. And, yeah, it's just sort of the consequences. But the really interesting thing is the journey on how characters get to that sort of breaking point, which is what I just, you know, yeah. love. That. I mean, that's why we binge watch, like, Game of Thrones and stuff like that because how much more, you know, destruction and chaos can they make happen, like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm hearing it. For me, it's the it's the character in that moment and that that moral dilemma and the greyness there, and I absolutely love it. Um, yeah, me too. And and that goes back to sort of Oromir as well. It it covered a few areas that um, it it covers flawed characters and it covers some fairly serious topics as well. Um, you know, it, it's fantasy, but it has things like it opens up. Um, no spoilers or anything, um, but it opens up with a fairly serious. Um, sort of event in the prologue and then yeah. the characters throughout are, are constantly um well they're, they're, they're flawed characters they're real characters essentially um yeah. but it's also you can't so you, i'm guessing your writing is kind of 
getting that that reputation for bringing the real into the fantasy, but also for um, having those real feminist undertones as well. Is this something that's deliberate? Is this something we're going to see more of in um, the new series? Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure heaps of female authors will say this, particularly female authors of fantasy, is that, you know, the classic sort of fantasy stuff that that we all love, like Lord of the Rings and uh, whatever else, like they do have some wonderful female characters, but they're not the hero of the story. Yeah. Um, and we don't uh, we don't really see the exploration of, of those characters as much as a, a male one, for instance. And what I what I love doing is sort of putting the the female experience um, in like the modern day female experience, I suppose, in a way, into the fantasy, particularly young adult fantasy, because, you know, I think it's really important for us when we're growing up to have characters we can relate to in stories. And that's, I think, one of the things that's been quite popular with my books is that the female characters, they are flawed. They're not these perfect, you know, model uh, women who are, uh, like, amazing at everything. Like, they're, they're flawed their characters are flawed, um, like Bleak in the Oromir Chronicles. She deals with her problems in a very toxic way. Um, toxic, yep. Yep, and, and so I, I really enjoyed exploring that part of her character and then having her sort of clash with another female character, Henry. They sort of clash at the beginning um, and it's, I love exploring female friendships. I love exploring the the things that that we go through as women growing up. Um, in A Lair of Bones and the book that follows that, I've found um, a lot of today's topics and conversations regarding, um, you know, the Me Too campaign and everything going on in, in Oz at the moment. That's woven throughout there, even though it's young adult fantasy, because I think a lot of these things are, like a universal female experience, but also it's really cool to explore them with a background of sword fighting and <laughs> and battles and, you know, all the good stuff that we love. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely a deliberate thing. I do want young readers to see themselves um, in the books and, you know, more than anything, I'd, I'd like them to start conversations. Um, at the end of war of mist or somewhere somewhere towards the end of it there's sort of this speech from a, a lesser like not a lesser character a secondary character which was basically i i wrote that in a journal on international women's day a couple of years ago and it was sort of this kind of despair but then like a call to arms and Basically, I copied and pasted that from my journal into War of Mist and had this character who was sort of seen as not weak, but just not particularly important. Perhaps she just faded into the, the background, but then she has this big moment where she says her piece about, you know, where women need to be and how they need to get there and that sort of stuff. And I find those parts of the books um, hopefully a really good conversation starters for young young girls and women who are, reading fantasy for fun but then they also get this sort of mirror back at them about society and where they fit in and what should and shouldn't be happening sort of thing yeah i found some of the um 
the modern day issues because, as, as I said, I reread uh, Heart of Mist just in the last week to make sure it's you know, all up to speed on everything because it was a couple of years ago when I read it the first time. Um, you probably a, know it better than me at this point. I can't remember it that well. There's there one particular line in there about the right to be able to feel safe in, in your own skin, and I thought that was very um, – it said a lot in very few words, which I think was a very um, – yeah, we'll just stick with it. It said a lot. Um, yeah. So – Actually, I actually discovered um, on Goodreads, like there's a section on like my author profile where um, it shows quotes that people have highlighted, which I've not really known about that feature before. And that particular quote is is highlighted quite often. So yeah. it's good to know that those sorts of um, like that. Uh, and it's not I'd like to think that any sort of feminist messages in my books are not just like sort of shouting in your face about it. It's just this natural sort of mirror and it's nice to know that people that's resonating with people. Um, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think, you know, certainly from my reading of it, it never slapped you in the face or shouted at you. It was all very much those undertones and, you know, doing yeah, cool. it in a very effective way. Awesome. Um, for me, Oromir, my, my personal reading of it, because obviously everybody reads things differently, is there was a lot in there about engaging with trauma and engaging with expectations um, as well. And one of the things that you've mentioned on... Um, a layer of bones as it engages with anxiety. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about how you how you bring these? As we said, we've discussed it a little bit, but very serious topics, and create a a way in which they're discussed where it's not, you know, shouts. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think I had a conversation with another another author the other day. Um, we were talking about young adult in particular. And with the Oromir Chronicles, for instance, um, the main character, Bleak, deals with alcohol addiction, as we sort of touched on before. And that's a pretty deep, dark topic for a young audience. But growing up and reading young adult books, those are the books that resonated with me the most, books that don't condescend to younger people. Like there are plenty of younger people who are going through like an addiction issue, anxiety, depression, um, misogyny, like just because they're young doesn't mean they're not facing these things. Um, and it's strange because I don't, I don't really like with A Lair of Bones, I didn't set out to write a character who had anxiety um I think that just naturally as I got to know the character somehow like wove its way in I think that's potentially a part of her that has a bit of me in her and it's never really like addressed in the book as in uh, this siren has been diagnosed with anxiety it's not like that but she does have a tendency to have spiraling thoughts and go into like these sort of like negative wormholes of um, what ifs and possibilities and that's definitely something I do um, and so that's just somehow like woven woven its way in there and hopefully that's something that that resonates with readers because I know um, from being on Instagram as well anxiety affects far more people than you ever realized yeah. um, and there are definitely some incredible conversations happening about it there's like a lot of a lot more openness about having anxiety and things like that so yeah, I think it just sort of naturally wove its way in there. And then it wasn't really until I was sort of proofreading the book. So proofreading final stage, like I can't really make any big changes. I'm just fixing, you know, a typo or something like that. And I finished reading it. And I'm like, mm, I think Ro might have anxiety. And it just, yeah, it was just something that kind of came naturally, I guess. And that's the same 
in a way with um, with Bleak from the Oromir Chronicles, I didn't set out to write a character who was addicted to alcohol, but that the opening uh, chapter with Bleak is when she's uh, she's just throwing up, like she's hungover as, and she's she's throwing up, and you kind of get the sense that she drinks to escape something else, um, and that I think that was that first. The prologue came to me first um, with Heart of Mist, but then in terms of writing Bleak, that um, opening chapter where she's throwing up in the village and she's hungover, that came to me quite naturally and didn't um, didn't really change as I wrote the book. I just started to explore why she was like that at the beginning, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I think there's a lot of authors out there that they start with that scene and it really epitomises the character and, Certainly yeah. Bleak, who's, you know, no, uh, you know, no surprises. She's one of my favourite characters. As I said, I love the uh, the darker ones that engage with the flaws and the trauma. Um, yeah. But getting back to the um, the self-publishing side of things, moving from Oromir, which is, you know, best-selling uh, novels, you know, successful enough to get you to doing full-time uh, authoring, what lessons have you learned from self-publishing that that have led to or that you've been able to action and, and move on to Lair of Bones with? Um, that's a really good question. It's interesting because I guess I've adapted my marketing strategy and my outreach campaign and I've had to do that because when um, Heart of Mist came out, book blogging was really big and so I thought that with a Lair of Bones I'd be able to sort of use that as a blueprint and then add on the other stuff that I've learned, like the advertising and, and whatnot. But um, book blogging isn't as big anymore, at least uh, at least not the um, book blogs that I had contacted originally. I basically I had a spreadsheet and I went to check that they what they were up to, had they changed their review policies and all that sort of stuff. Um, and at least half of them, the blog didn't exist anymore, which was a bit of a, a kick to the gut because I thought, I thought I'd be able to use that sort of strategy again. So I've had to sort of pivot, I guess. And I suppose that's something that a lot of uh, indie authors will tell you is a benefit to um, running your own business and running your own production schedule is that when there is a roadblock like that, you can pivot. You're not this, you know, um, I don't know, a hundred person company that you then need to check in with a hundred other people. You just have to make the decision then and there and then you implement it. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've had to, to sort of pivot on that, but also I don't really know the outcome at this point because as of recording this, a layer of bones isn't out yet. So I won't really know if the things that I've learnt and adapted have paid off. I won't know really until July, August. Um, but yeah, I've, I've really, I think honed my writing uh, process and my sort of business plan, I think, since uh, Heart of Mist came out. I've learnt that if you're writing a big epic fantasy series, you probably need to outline. Um, when, when I wrote Heart of Mist and the Oromir Chronicles, I just wrote that first book. I didn't have any expectations as to how well it would do when I published it. I, I certainly didn't think that I'd be making a living off it within three months. Um, so, yeah, but in doing that, then I had to write the second one and the third one, but the first one had already been published. And so particularly with fantasy and world building and, you know, 
huge scoping um, plots and timelines and all sorts. If, if you do publish that first book, the chances are you're probably going to have written yourself into some corners if you haven't planned it properly. <clears throat> and so I definitely, in publishing and writing The Oramine Chronicles, I learned a lot about craft. I learned a lot about my writing process and how I can better it. So as of recording this, A Lair of Bones comes out in July, but I've actually already finished book two um, and I've outlined book, book three and I've got a rough outline for book four. And that has definitely helped in writing faster, um, in getting my production schedule in line and organised. And also it will potentially mean that I can release quicker, whereas um, the Oromir Chronicles were a year apart, um, which suited me at the time, and that's, that's fine. That I very much modelled myself on a traditional publishing timeline then. Um, but since then, having been involved in all these author groups, um, I've learned about rapid release, which is very common in the indie space. Um, I won't be rapid releasing in terms of like a layer of bones will come out and then, you know, a week later, the second one, but I would ideally like to work towards having two books come out a year. I think that's a realistic goal for me. Um, Mm. but I only know that through the big learning curve that was the army chronicles and publishing that. Yeah. Yeah. And even that's, uh, I mean, that's, that's faster than most authors out there as well. And, um, certainly my limited experience with rapid release was a, um, an author for a, a different publisher that I was, um, I was volunteering with and they had basically all three books ready to go and they needed to have those three to get that rapid release going. And, uh, that's, it's a lot of investment. Um, and, uh, just for, uh, I, I, been looking for an excuse to put this out there for listeners who can't see this because it's um, just being released in audio. But behind Helen, I can see the maps. I can see the the, uh, the, images and the schedules and all the outlines. And, you know, it's, um, it's very exciting for a, a nerd like me. Um, but no, I, love it. I love it too. And it's very, it's very easy, like, when you're writing to forget where everything is or, like, yeah, even absolutely. just kind of vaguely work out all the distance between point x and point you know why you know how many hours how many days horse riding would that take and so i have the the maps up there to to sort of vaguely keep me in line yeah and and the one that gets me is um seasons and and how the world actually changes because uh just remember one that i wrote for a um for my own education um uh thing i I wrote it and it was about a fourteen thousand word limit so I wrote a very small part of this story and all took, took place over a couple of days. And then I tried to expand it out to a novel and I realised that halfway through that this is no longer a couple of days. This is like, you know, three, four, five months down the track and I've still got the same weather. That's a problem. <laughs> um, anyway, enough of that. It depends on the world. It, it could depend on the world. You know, there are uh, winter kingdoms and yeah, summer true. courts and, and all sorts. So Yeah, no, this, <laughs> this one wasn't anything exciting like that. It was just me forgetting um right. but, uh you know as, as we said we we learn we move on and we um cool learning process that's it so to get now just just to finish all this off first of all thank you very much for um for joining us but i do have to ask uh danny's favorite question that she asks of every uh every interview why do you write why do i write um i think it's like a compulsion i'd I don't know what I would do if I didn't write. I've written since I was about seven years old and I've, I've always written stories. I've always wanted to be a novelist. Um, 
I think, yeah, it's in part this just compulsion of wanting to create, wanting to produce something. And then I suppose another part of it is it's an epic escape from like everyday life, isn't it? Like sometimes I still can't believe that my job involves, you know, researching parts of a dagger or researching, you know, mythical creatures and, you know, the logistics behind, I don't know, a fortress and stuff like that. Like that's my job. That's pretty cool. Um, so I guess I just enjoy all that really nerdy stuff and I enjoy the the escape, but I love the feeling of having created something. I think that's that's the best sort of explanation I can give you of it. You know, it makes makes perfect sense and the same. It's um even if it's a small, terrible story, just that act of creating is um yeah. certain release. But look, thank you very much. Um Helen Scheurer uh, with a layer of bones coming out in July and we took July, yes, 2021. But thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for sharing your um, your insights and your thoughts on uh, on indie publishing and good luck with the book. Thank you very much for having me. This has been a blast.